Uh, this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at this morning. And we're continuing in our series on mission, and we're answering the question, what does the Bible have to say about the spiritual world and spiritual gifts? If you're a keen observer of the slide, you will notice that I left out the word say. Uh, And I noticed that this morning as I was looking at my own notes and the own title that I had, I realized I did not put the word say in there. And I know it's not on the slide, and so I'm just going to go ahead and out myself before you guys see that. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at this morning. We're going to read this as we, as we go through. And so um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to dive in to the message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as a church. To open your word, to learn from it, God. Today as we look at spiritual gifts and the spiritual world, Lord, we ask that you would help us to gain a better understanding as well as may we employ the gifts that you have given us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we began our current series on mission. And so far, what in this series, we've learned that the church's mission to make disciples is what unifies us as a church. And if we're going to accomplish that mission, we learned that that everyone has to serve. And we talked about service in a broad sense last week. And this week, we're going to talk a bit more specifically about service as we think about the supernatural world and spiritual gifts. Now, I'm from Savannah, Georgia. And Savannah, Georgia is an old historic city. It's one of the original 13 colonies. It was founded by General James Oglethorpe in 1730. And if you've ever been, if you've never been to Savannah, Savannah is a, a beautiful city. Uh, its beauty has survived throughout the centuries. It even survived the Civil War. General Sherman, he was known for burning the cities that, that he had captured in the South. But when he reached Savannah, it, its beauty just struck him so much so that, that he could not bring himself to burn the city. And so he ended up giving the city to Abraham Lincoln as a Christmas gift. Now, I tell you all of that to say that Savannah is old. And a lot of the buildings in Savannah are old as well. And with old buildings often comes stories of ghosts and even ghost tours. There's a number of ghost tours that they have in Savannah. And, and these tours, they, they take you through a bunch of these old buildings. They take you through them at night. You know, it's supposed to be scary and, and spooky and, and all of that. And, and as you're going through these spooky old buildings at night, you have this, this tour guide, this, this ghost tour guide who tells you about the ghosts who supposedly haunt these buildings and the encounter that people have had with these ghosts throughout the years. And a lot of times when people think about the supernatural world, I mean, this is what they think about. They think about ghosts, they think about ghost tours, uh, especially around Halloween. And that's mainly because the Enlightenment has taken us from a people who know about or have a knowledge about, or have an acceptance of the spiritual world to a people who, who are really focused purely on the rational and the material world. You know, I think it's safe to say that since the Enlightenment, there has been a rejection of 
the supernatural world, at least to a certain degree in our society, which has led to or resulted in a misunderstanding of the spiritual dimension of this world. You know, we chalk up the, the spiritual world to ghosts and to ghost tours and, and things like that. Uh, but is that how we should think about the supernatural world? You know, is that how we should think about spiritual things or is there more? You know, what does the Bible have to say about the supernatural world? What does the Bible have to say about spiritual gifts? Well, those are the questions that we're going to answer this morning. We're looking at 1 Corinthians, and, and this is the letter that we're going to be looking at here this morning. And Corinth was a major metropolitan area. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians who live in this major metropolitan area. And they were highly influenced by pagan thought and pagan practices. And unlike today, people in that time knew that the supernatural world was alive and well. The Enlightenment it has not taken root. Many people understood that there was not only this material and, and rational side to this world, but there was also a spiritual side to this world. Worshiping the gods of the spiritual world, I mean, it was, it was a common day-to-day -day practice back then. It was certainly something that the now believers in Corinth probably took part in in the past. Most likely they took part in this worship in the past. And now they've been, they've been saved out of that, and so they're no longer worshiping these, these other gods. But, but certainly this is part of their past. It is part of their history. And so Paul is, is writing to them mainly because of their current situation, because of their current cultural practices. And, and he is addressing the spiritual world. And specifically, he is addressing the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he wants them and he wants us to understand that God gives believers spiritual gifts. God gives believers spiritual gifts. And it's important that Paul address this topic because just as there's a misunderstanding today about the supernatural world because of the enlightenment, there was a misunderstanding in Paul's day about the, the supernatural world, specifically about spiritual gifts because of the pagan influence that these people experienced on a day-to-day -day basis. And because of this misunderstanding, there was a tendency to misuse these gifts or there was a tendency to reject the spiritual gifts and reject the supernatural world to think that, that everything in that realm was evil. And Paul doesn't want them to do either, and so he writes to clear up this misunderstanding. And so look at verse 1 and 2 with me. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols... However, you, will, you were led. And so Paul is telling us several things in these opening verses. He's telling us first that the spiritual world, it, it, is, it is alive and well. Notice he tells us that there are spiritual gifts. He opens with that. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. He wants them to understand that there are spiritual gifts. And as we're going to learn here in a moment, the Holy Spirit is the one who provides these spiritual gifts. And as believers then, what we need to learn right off the bat is that we should not reject the, the spiritual world. The physical world is not all that, that there is. There is a spiritual dimension, a spiritual dimension that, that crosses over into the physical world. And we're not just flesh and blood. This world is not just made up of, you know, atoms and particles and physical material. There is a spiritual dimension to this world. And so we don't need to reject 
the spiritual dimension to this world. Nor should we reject spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts are given to us by God. While we shouldn't reject the spiritual world, while we shouldn't reject spiritual gifts, second, we can't allow the world to influence how we think about and how we use spiritual gifts. Notice there's some relearning that has to take place on the Corinthians part. He says, kind of, well, right at the end of verse 1, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. As well as he tells them that that the way that they have been led in the past uh, is not the way that they should be led today. In the past, the, the spirits had come, and the spirits, they had led them astray, and the spirits led them to worship mute idols. Idols that, that had no power whatsoever at all. They, would, they led them to worship these idols. And so Paul wants them to understand, Paul wants us to understand that the way that the world thinks about and interacts with the spiritual dimension is not the way that the believers are to think about and interact with the spiritual world. And so how then, do, how then does the world oftentimes think about spiritual matters. Well, I think there are a number of ways that the world thinks about spiritual things. About, I think there are a number of ways that, that the world interacts with the spiritual dimension, and, and these are things that, that we should not do. So you think about Ouija boards or psychics or horoscopes, or even people today are using hallucinogenics in order to create this spiritual experience for themselves. And I know that a lot of people, they, they, they think about these things like horoscopes and psychics and all that. Oh, that's just, that's just a novelty. You know, that's just, that's just innocent fun that we might have. These are innocent activities. But, but these things are, are far from innocent activities. But when you participate in these things, what you are actually doing is you are participating in the spiritual world. And you are not doing that in the way that God has designed for you to participate in the spiritual world. You are actually being led by demonic spirits rather than the Holy Spirit. And that's a problem because as Paul points out here in verse 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is telling us here, he's saying, look, you guys need to be careful about who is leading you. Right? There are spirits that, that are leading you. You can be led by these evil, demonic spirits, or you can be led by the Holy Spirit. And he gives us a test here, and he says, the the evil, demonic spirits, they're not only going to lead you to worship idols, but but as they lead you astray to worship idols, what you are actually going to be doing is you're going to be cursing Jesus. You're going to be talking down about Jesus. But then he says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to say that Jesus is Lord. And only those who are led by the Holy Spirit are going to say that Jesus is Lord. And so he's giving them a test and he's saying there are two ways that you can be led. There are two different different paths that you can take. One is going to lead you to curse Jesus. One is going to lead you to recognize that Jesus is Lord And so we need to be careful who is leading us. We can't just play around with these things like like the world might play around with them. And that's especially true at this time of year. I mean, Halloween is upon us. And really, this can, can slide into us worshiping 
uh, evil demonic forces, depending on where, where you let things go. And you're confronted with this, you know, on a daily basis during this time of year. And so we have to be careful. We have to think uh, Christian about these things. And, and hopefully, as we work through this today, we, we will gain some of that understanding. And so when it comes to spiritual matters, there is some relearning that has to take place. There is some caution that, that has to take place. We cannot allow the world to influence us. We can't allow our past to dictate how we think about, how we interact with spiritual matters. Instead, we have to allow God's word to step in and influence us in this area. You know, God is the one who has created this spiritual world. He is the one who gives us spiritual gifts And so we should allow God to teach us about the spiritual world. We should allow God to teach us about spiritual gifts and how we might utilize these spiritual gifts. And so how? You know, how should we think about spiritual gifts from a biblical standpoint? Well, we need to understand that spiritual gifts are given in variety. So look at verses 4 through 7. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are a variety of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so first we need to understand that we don't need to run to a bunch of different deities in order to gain spiritual gifts. And this is why, why Paul is really hitting on the idea that there's one Lord, that there's one Spirit. This idea of oneness is there so that you would understand that you don't have to run to a bunch of different gods and worship a bunch of different gods in order to gain good gifts. There is one God, and he, he provides us with these good spiritual gifts that we are to use. And the gifts that are given, they're given in variety. You know, everyone does not have the same spiritual gift. You know, one of the sports that I played growing up was baseball and and my dad, he, he still plays baseball. We've got a baseball fan. My dad, he still plays baseball in his 60s. And I'm not just talking about softball, right? You think about, you know, old, older men, they kind of grow up and, and they get in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and they're playing softball. I mean, he still plays softball, but literally he still plays fast pitch baseball. 60s, he's doing this. Now, practically from the time uh, that I could walk, my dad had me hitting that baseball off of the tee in our backyard and then as soon as I uh, was old enough to play coach pitch, I was on a team playing baseball, and I played for a number of years after that. And one of the, the, one of the things that I learned right off of the bat, you know, no, no pun intended there, uh, was, that, was that baseball was made up of a bunch of different people who were gifted in a number of different ways. And so you might have people who are really fast, and you're going to put them in the outfield, right? They can run down the fly ball. Or maybe you're going to have somebody who can throw really well, and so they're going to play pitcher. Or maybe you got somebody who's really quick, and they can catch, and they can, they can throw the ball very quickly to others, and they're going to play in the infield. You know, there are a number of different people who make up a team, and, and they're all gifted in different ways to make up this team. And that's the same with the church. You know, the church is, is made up of people who are gifted in different ways. People who will, who will take these spiritual gifts and they will use them for the common good in order to build one another up in the faith. And so we each, every single person in here, if you are a believer, if you would call Jesus Lord, then you have 
a spiritual gift. And every single person is to employ that spiritual gift for the good of somebody else. And, and the thing is, we all have different spiritual gifts. Everybody has a different spiritual gift. Because these gifts, as we see here, are given in variety. Now, what are the spiritual gifts that, Paul, that, that God gives? You know, Paul, he, he gives us a list of about 13 spiritual gifts here, depending on how you look at that. Now, we are going to run through this list. We're going to do it quickly. Um, just so that you will have an idea of what are some of the spiritual gifts. There are other lists, and we'll just go ahead and say that. There are other lists that you can look at in Scripture, so this isn't the entirety of all of the spiritual gifts. So if you're, if you're reading through this here this morning with me, you're thinking, oh, the gift that I have, that I think I have, is not on there. I guess I'm not gifted. Well, well, no, there's Romans 12, there's Ephesians as well that you can go and look at to, look at, to, to gain another understanding of spiritual gifts. By and large, this, this is alarm. So let, let's go through these quickly. Uh, look at verse 8 with me. He starts out with wisdom. Now, wisdom, it, it relates to discernment. It is the ability to apply God's word to a particular situation so that you might help others understand how they might react to that situation and, and, and lead them to live as Christ has called them to live. And then as you continue down here in verse 8, you also notice that he says, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Again, he's making that, that point that it is the same spirit who is giving all of these gifts. And knowledge is the ability to understand and provide clear instruction so that others might follow God's will. Next, we run across faith. And, and faith, when you think about faith, well, everybody who is a believer has faith. Everybody trusts in Jesus. And so here what he's talking about is an extra measure of faith that is given to do a particular miracle or maybe to accomplish a specific task. So, so you think about those people who are being persecuted or those people who have this big task in front of them or you know, just think about those people who, who you think, man, they are so faithful. Like They are always trusting in God. Nothing ever shakes them. Every single time you get around them, you are encouraged in your faith. You are encouraged to trust in God more because this person has just got this extra measure of faith that you just wish that you had. They may be gifted by the Spirit in this area of faith. Next, we see healing. Now, healing is the God-given ability to bring about healing in another person. Now, this doesn't mean that, that everybody is healed all of the time, right? That, that we're going to have some healing service and every single person who walks down this aisle is going to be healed, you know, or, or you're gonna, we're going to ask you for money and we're going to send you a handkerchief or something like that and you can just, you know, wave that around your house and, and you are going to be healed. Uh, that is prosperity gospel. That's not what we are, that's not what we're talking about here. But God does heal, and God does use other people to heal from time to time. Next, we see miracles, and miracles is the God-given ability to perform mighty works, whether for deliverance or for judgment. Next, we've got prophecy. And, and when we talk about prophecy, we're not talking about future predictions of what is going to happen. So when you think about the prophets in the Old Testament, a lot of them would provide what we would consider prophecy. And it is this prophecy that is looking forward to the future. It's, it's predictive. This prophecy was fulfilled. That's not what we're talking about. The, the canon of Scripture, you know, the Bible has been closed. And so nothing else is added 
to that. So we're not gaining new revelation. We're not gaining new scriptural revelation that we're going to write and, you know, append to this book. Anyone who says that is a false teacher. Uh, And so that's not the type of prophecy that we are talking about here. And, And we're not just talking about preaching either. Sometimes people want to take this and, and, and they don't really know what to do with this word. And so they say, well, that's, that's, that's preaching. We're going we're gonna to attach that to preaching. Instead, what I believe prophecy is, is a spirit-prompted message that is intelligible. It's something that we can understand. It is directed towards a specific situation in a church. And its purpose is encouragement, Its purpose is upbuilding direction or conviction. And so it's not predictive prophecy in the sense that, you know, we are predicting the future. And it's not just preaching in the sense that I'm preaching, but it is the, the, the Spirit working through an individual so that they might gain some sort of extra knowledge for that particular situation. Next is the ability to distinguish the spirits. And what Paul is referring to is the ability to evaluate prophets, you know, to tell if the prophets who are coming, to tell if those who are, who are speaking, those who are teachers, those who are preachers, if they are being guided by, you know, the, the evil demonic spirits, or if these people are being guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we have people who have been given this extra ability to uh, distinguish between the spirits who is guiding who next we have tongues and tongues are spirit prompted speech that is voiced to God or or to others now this can be unintelligible or it can be intelligible and I know a lot of people um, think well I'll just say this a lot of churches misuse this particular spiritual gift Uh, Paul gets into this a little bit later in Corinthians, and so I don't want to preach a whole sermon on that right now. But a lot of people misuse this, and that leads to a huge misunderstanding of what tongues are. You know, Paul, he begins to talk about the idea that that, that tongues are not necessarily meant to be used in the church. And a lot of people, especially in Corinth, were using that to build themselves up, to puff themselves up. But, But I don't think that that means that just because churches are misusing that, that tongues are not a valid spiritual gift. Uh, I'm, I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that the miraculous gifts ha- have ceased. Uh, but I, I do believe that this needs to be used in its right context. And, and I particularly see that context outside of the walls of the church on more of a missional, uh, mission field context where you are encountering people whose language you may not know And you are then able to speak to them and to present them something from God's word or the gospel so that they then might be able to understand the truths of scripture and to be able to understand the gospel. You you haven't studied that language. It's not one that you know, but God is working through you to speak to that particular person. Next after that uh, is the ability to interpret tongues. And this is the God-given ability to interpret what someone else said. So if you are in a church context and someone does speak in tongues, then there needs to be someone who is going to interpret that. And then you have other people who are gifted in that way so that they might be able to interpret the tongues. Or maybe you're on the mission field and there's the opportunity to interpret 
tongues as well. Regardless, there is people who are able to interpret this. They're not people who speak a myriad of different languages. You may never have heard that language before, but God is working through you in order so that you might hear that and be able to interpret that for others who are there. Now, if you move over to verse 28, we're going to see the next gift. And, and this is, you know, could, could go either way. Uh, it's, it's apostleship. And this could go either way. It could be determined as an office or it could be determined as a spiritual gift. And, and let me just say, we don't have big A apostles today. Uh, these are people who walked with Jesus. These are people who were commissioned by Jesus. And, and they were those who, who wrote scripture and they, they, they founded churches and, and built churches and strengthened churches. But I can be okay with saying that we have little a apostles because apostle is just a messenger or a sent out one. Somebody who has been sent out. And typically when you think about an apostle today, we don't use this language. I know some people do call themselves an apostle. And, and, and what I think they're saying when they do that is that they're someone who has been sent out by God in more of a, a missional context. Maybe they're a church planter. They're someone who is a pastor of pastors, someone who is seeking to strengthen the church. And they may be gifted in that way to do those things. Next on the list is, is teachers or teaching and this is really just the ability to organize and clearly explain God's word so that people understand better who God is. People understand, you know, uh, better what the gospel is. And, and it is the ability to clearly organize thoughts so that the church is then built up, so that the church is convicted, so that the church understands how God wants them to live. Next to last is helps, and the gift of helps is that you have the desire, you have the ability to lead out in helping others. And so we, we looked at the Samaritan's Purse video this morning, and those who are, who are leading out in that effort, I would say those are people who have the gift of help, helps. Uh, that doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't all go and, and participate in that. We should say, oh, you got the gifts of help, so we're going to let you go, and you do that, brother. You're gifted in that way. No, but it is, it is people who are gifted and are leading out in that, and other people are following them to help others. Now, last but not least is administration, at least on our list that we have here. And this is the ability to perform organizational or leadership-type tasks so as to, to lead and serve God's people. Now, I know that's quick. I know we ran through a bunch of those really fast. Um, if you have questions about that, I'd certainly be willing to meet with you and talk about that. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, then let's set up some time to talk about that because we all do have a spiritual gift. And, and I would ask you, you know, this week, if you're unsure about that, to, to pray about it, to look over this list again to go to Romans chapter 12, to go to Ephesians chapter 4, read over those lists, pray about it. Ask God to, to confirm what your spiritual gift might be. And if you still have some questions about that, you know, let, let, let's set a meeting, let's get together, and, and let's talk about that. Because we all have them, and, and we all need to know what they are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're willing to admit that Jesus is your Lord you possess at least one of these gifts. And as a member of the body of Christ, it is crucial that you employ your God-given gift 
so that we might accomplish the mission of the church. That's where we're heading. That's how this ties in to today or to to the series that we're in. We are using our God-given gift so that we might be on mission, so that we might be people who are making disciple-making disciples. And we each need to use our gift in order to do that. And while everyone is gifted differently, we all comprise the body of Christ. And so look at 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now here Paul, he, he begins to use this body metaphor. He, he likens the church to a body. And I think this is a great illustration because the body is connected together. The body has different parts and different members, just like the church has different parts and different members. And even though we all have different gifts, we are all connected together with one another, just like our body has different members that are all connected together. That's what, that's what makes the body. The common connection that we have and what brings us all together, we may, we may be of different ages, we may be of different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, we, we may come from different cultural backgrounds, we may come from different countries. But what brings us together, what unites us together as the body of Christ is Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who draws us to Christ so that we might believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It is the Holy Spirit who then draws us together as the body of Christ. And he gifts each and every single one of us as we are gathered together with one another. And every single person who is connected to this body, to this church, to East Ridge Baptist Church, is crucial. Every single person. We all have different gifts. Everyone here is a different part of the body because everybody is gifted differently. No one's gift is greater than another gift either. And so we can't just think, you know, about about these different gifts. We all have different gifts, but but no one is going to be greater than another person with those gifts. And Paul really drives this home in verses 14 through 20 and then 21 through 26. So, so let's look and see what he says here. First, he tells us that we shouldn't feel inferior to another person because of the gift that we possess. We shouldn't feel inferior to another because of the gift that we possess. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. You see, just because the gift that you have may not be as public, maybe the gift that you have is the gift of administration, or maybe the gift you have is the gift of faith. Just because your gift may not be as public as, say, somebody who speaks on a regular basis or who teaches on a regular basis does not mean that you should think that your gift is inferior to those who are teaching. Paul is saying, we are all necessary. We can't just have an eye. We can't just have a mouth. We have to have every single part of the body. If we didn't, where would the body be? 
There wouldn't be a body if that was the case. And Paul is driving that point home there so that you may not feel inferior. Every single person is valuable. Every single person has been gifted in a way to be used for the mission of God. Now, on the other hand, we learn in verses 21 through 26 that we shouldn't feel superior because of the gift that we have been given. We shouldn't feel superior because of the gift we've been given. Look at verses 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so say you possess a more public gift, like, like the gift of speaking or something like that and teaching, and, you, and you're, you're out in front of people all of the time. Well, well, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at somebody who has the gift of helps or the gift of administration and, and think of yourself as more superior to them. Paul is trying to drive this point home. He doesn't want anybody to say, my gift is better than your gift, or for someone to look and say, oh, your gift is so much better than my gift. I wish that I had that gift. Paul doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to do that. The Holy Spirit does not want us to do that. The Holy Spirit has brought us together so that we might be the church, so that we might all complement one another, so that we might all serve one another. And he even goes so far as to say that there may be no division in the body at all. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, think about that. Think about if, if, if your finger gets cut off, right? You're not just going to walk around and say, oh, well, no big deal. Like blood just spurting out of your finger, you know, and all this stuff. Like you're not just thinking, that's not a big deal. Like I'm, I'm good. No, you, your whole body suffers. You can't do anything else but have to care for your finger. And you have to get that thing, you know, bandaged up so that it quit bleeding. If one member of the body suffers, all are going to suffer because we are all connected together. At the same time, if, we are, if one member is rejoicing, then we should come alongside of them and we should rejoice with them as well. See, we are all connected together. Every part of our physical body is absolutely crucial for us to function properly. And every single part of the body of Christ is absolutely crucial for us to function properly as well. No one is more important than the other. Everyone plays a crucial role in the mission of the church. And not only that, but we have all been brought together by the Holy Spirit in this church at this time. You are not a member of this church by accident. God, the Holy Spirit, has drawn you here to be a member of East Ridge Baptist Church at this moment in history. Not at a later date, but at this moment in history. And he has done so because you compliment other people who are here. And so if you don't use your gift, 
It's not like there's somebody just waiting behind you, you know, like it's an assembly line or something like that, or, or it's like, like the, at, the, at the automotive garage and they just have all these parts up there on, on, on the shelf, and you bring your car in and, and your transmission is broken down, and they're just like, oh, great, well, we'll just rebuild your transmission or put a new one in there, right? That's not how it works. We don't just have people just relying in, in reserve. I mean, every single person is here, and every single person is here because they make up the body. And so if you don't use your gift, no one else is here to use that gift. You need to make sure that you are serving in the way that God has gifted you to serve so that the body of Christ might function properly. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he has chose. You have each been chosen to be here and to use your gifts in the way that you have been gifted so that we might function properly as the church. This is why the church has, has ran the Beyond the Pew campaign in the past. This is why we're still pushing that campaign. This is why we've spent time putting these positions that we have for volunteers on our website. We're encouraging you to go and to click on the Serve tab and to look and see how might you serve in this church. How might your spiritual gift meet the needs of the church in those volunteer positions? And then beyond those volunteer positions, I'm not saying that you're limited to that. But, but how might your gifts help us to be a church who is in community and on mission for Jesus so that we're making disciple, making disciples? How might your gift help us be a church who is the church every day, everywhere? How has God called you so that you might bring all of us together so that we could be on mission together, so that we can, we can accomplish the vision of the church together? There are probably ideas that you have that, that are not listed on the website. There are ideas I guarantee that you have that I don't have. But the great thing is, is that we're all connected together as a body of Christ. And you can come and say, Pastor Casey, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe we can go and do this. This, this kind of fits our mission. This fits our vision to be in community and an on mission for Jesus so that we're making disciples, making disciples in this community. And we can have a conversation about that. And when then if it works, we can then bring the body of the Christ around that, our church together around that, and go and do that thing. Or maybe it just gets a subset of people who can gather together and go and do whatever idea it is that you have. And so if you have ideas in ways that you might be able to serve, if you have ideas in ways that this church might be able to serve in the community beyond those things that you see on our website on the Serve tab, by all means, feel free to come and talk to us. Talk to me, talk to Paul, talk to one of the deacons. And, and we can begin discussing that and see how we as a church might be able to do that. Because we want you to use your gift. And we want to be able to come around you and do that together as a church. And so we've seen this morning that, that the spiritual world is alive and well. While that's true, we, we cannot allow the world to influence the way that we think about the supernatural world. We can't allow the world to, 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 think, to influence how we think about spiritual gifts and how we use spiritual gifts. We have to allow God's word 
to, allow, to, to influence how we are going to use our spiritual gifts, how we think about the spiritual world. And when it comes to the word, we learn that we have each been given a spiritual gift that we are to employ to accomplish the mission of this church. No one in here is unimportant. Every single person in here is absolutely crucial to accomplishing the mission of the church. If you don't hear anything else, know that. Every single person in here is absolutely crucial to accomplishing the mission of the church. And so do not neglect your spiritual gift. Don't allow the world to keep you from using it. Don't allow the world to lead you to use it in a way that is not biblical. Don't think of yourself as inferior. And certainly don't think of yourself as superior to another person. We are all equal. We are all important. And we all need to employ our gifts. As Paul says in verse 27, and I'll close with this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for your teaching. Thankful that you do not leave us in the dark. That you explain to us about the spiritual world. That that you teach us about spiritual gifts and you call us to use those gifts. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you would work in the hearts of each of the members of this church. So that they might be motivated to know what their spiritual gift is. And to use their spiritual gift to accomplish your mission. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.